0: Stanley, we're we're back again with another good friend. This time, Marissa Levine.
1: Yeah, this is becoming a, a weekly thing, I think. And uh, it was it was nice to see Marissa. I hadn't seen her in, in years, so it was, it was great to catch up.
0: Yeah, she's exactly the same, just better. You know, I think this episode was really fun for me because, and we get into this a bit in the conversation, but Marissa occupies a very specific kind of mold in my head as a, as a person of someone who mixes this great warmth and ability to connect with people and make them feel good and just be friends with a toughness or a clarity in terms of not being willing to sacrifice who she is for someone else or, or taking crap from, from someone when she doesn't need to. So I think that blend, which we get into obviously in, in the discussion is, is something that makes her pretty special in, in my mind, and something that I don't come across often
1: in, in people that I deal with,
0: but what, what did, what did you think of, of, of the discussion?
1: Yeah. So one of the things that stood out for me that I think kind of summarized her personality well was she said something along the lines of like, I'm, I'm a salesperson you can trust cause I don't work on commission. And it just feels like every time I'm I'm talking to her, every time she's kind of promoting something, it's because she genuinely believes that like you, whoever I'm talking to, will benefit from this. Uh, and so that that came through, I think, in the interview, and, and it comes through whenever you talk to Marissa.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. We, I think she does an amazing job, and and she does a better job describing it than than we will right here. But I think she does an amazing job of making you feel her passion and excitement in a way that you want to support her. You want, you want to be sold to by her. Yeah, yeah. And that I think is, is pretty cool. And the hallmark of a good salesperson, frankly. So with that, I think it's worth just getting right to it. So here's our conversation with Marissa Levine.
2: just good stories. Increase. Professionally, I get called the cheap cat
0: murder. We'd like to welcome in our guest this week on Unzipped, Marissa Levine. Marissa, it's so great to have you. So
2: good to see you. Stanley and I were just saying it's been a while, but Zip, I just saw you last week.
0: Well, that's just uh, happenstance and, and lucky scheduling for us that we get to get to see each other So, so quickly back to back.
2: It's a pleasure.
0: Well, as I don't know if you've listened to any episodes uh, of of the podcast, there's obviously people that you know who've been on already, but really, I just want to like learn more about you. I think you're, you occupy a very specific headspace for me in terms of the type of friend and and person that you are with some unique combinations of of characteristics that I'm, I'm excited to ask you about. But I, I think one place that started as I was thinking about what's a good place to begin with you was understanding what you wanted to be when you grew up. <laughs> Not to just you know take it back to the beginning, Let's but I'm actually really curious about young Marissa and what you what you idolized a little bit as a, as a young girl and what you wanted to be when you grew up.
2: Sure. Um, so when I wanted, when I grew up, I wanted to be a jeweler. My dad runs a jewelry business in Pittsburgh. And the irony is that I'm not wearing my rings right now. So we won't tell him that. Um, But he has owned a business called Levine Design since I, before I was born. And so I grew up going to the office, playing with very shiny things, thinking that this was like the coolest that he got to play with shiny, pretty things and make things that made other people really happy. And he and I have talked about that a lot recently, which is who gets to do work that makes things that are like a part of somebody else's really happy celebration so often. Um, He makes engagement rings, he makes wedding bands, he, you know, takes people's jewelry apart and makes it into something new and beautiful if it's from their grandmother or fixes somebody's old watch and like jewelry is a happy thing people wear it to celebrate memories and i just always thought that was the coolest so i grew up going that's really nice
0: that's really nice for you to come on and just immediately plug your dad's dad's business the too. irony
2: is actually that it's probably coming to an end soon it's you know reaching the end of an era so it's no sales just good stories
0: Wow. So you're not thinking of taking over the family business. I thought
2: about it for a long time. And small business seems both really fun and really stressful, really
0: stressful.
2: So I thought about it, but no, not for now.
0: That's cool. Well, I, I, I want to dig into something you said because it kind of aligns with what I was mentioning before about how you sort of show up for me in, in my mind. And that was that the jeweler plays a role as someone who helps other people enjoy or have fun or share special moments. Can you talk about that? And if that's present in your life now?
2: Sure. Um, I actually, when I when somebody asks me what I do for work, um, I'm always like, well, I'm a connector. And, like, that's a very weird, intangible thing to put on a resume. Like, I don't code. I don't have any, like, medical skills. I, But, like, what I'm really good at is bringing people together. And I've done it for a long time in different capacities, like, personally and professionally. And um, I'll actually tell you kind of a cool story. I was part of this neat women in leadership program a couple of years ago. And one of the exercises that they make you do is email a bunch of people who know you well, like personally and professionally and ask them like, what kind of makes you the most you, like, what are things that you're good at and what, what do they think of when they think of you? And I sent it to a ton of different people and the things that came back the most were you connect people and you're really good at the details like universally from like people I worked with, people I was friends with. Um, and so I've always liked introducing people and helping people feel at home and helping people feel connected to each other or connected to something that I'm excited about. So that's a pretty strong through line in my life.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's so cool. What, what do you think you get out of operating in that space as a connector?
2: I think it's like the Jewish mother factor. Zip, you'll strongly identify with us, Stanley. I don't know how you're going to feel about this one. But like most Jewish mothers just like want people to be in their house and they want to feed people and they want you to feel loved and they want you to have a great conversation. And even as like an extrovert, I kind of just like sitting back and watching that whole thing go down. Like if it's my house, great. If it's an event I'm running, great. Um... I'm like the extrovert that likes to take a book to a bar and just sit there and read and like soak up everybody else's like bar energy. And so I think it fills my cup. Like that's the kind of thing that recharges me.
0: That's such a nice way of putting it, that it fills your Mm -hmm. cup. My my grandmother would 100% agree with you.
2: Yeah. Apparently my great grandmother was like this woman who was up until all hours of the night would always talk to you, knew everybody, connected everybody. And that's actually who I'm named for.
0: Shocking, shocking, shocking that you're related to someone shocking. like that.
2: Truly shocking.
0: When did you think that being a connector was something that you could do professionally?
2: It's hmm. a good question. Zip. It's like you run a podcast. Um, do professionally.
0: I practiced in the other episodes. So this could be my <laughs> best. Like I
2: listened to Jorge's this morning as I was getting ready for work, which was really fun. I was like having Jorge like talk to me while I got ready. I love Um, it. To do professionally. I don't know like when I kind of solidified that, but I feel like the job I had when I first moved to San Francisco, um, I worked for this like neat education nonprofit that helped connect mentors to middle school students. And like, I think one of the things I've never done, I've never worked on or for anything that like, I don't feel personally really passionate about because I'm really bad at being inauthentic. Um, but I am a good, I'm going to use the word sales, like loosely, but I'm a good salesperson. If I love something, like I can totally sell you on it. And so when I worked for spark, I thought this was such a cool program. Like I went to a school. Um, I went to college. I went to a a co-op school, Northeastern, which was about getting work experience, like hands-on, like figure out what you like and get excited about it. And this mentorship program was a lot like that. It was like middle school kids getting to tag along with a professional to see what they did all day. Like get them excited about school, subtext. If you're excited about life, you won't drop out. (laughs) And so I was like pretty new to San Francisco, but I was making a lot of friends and I managed to con a lot of people I knew into signing themselves and their companies up to be mentors. (laughs) And like, that's I mean, I only worked at the organization for like, I don't know, nine months or a year, but I got a lot of people to come to the fundraiser and I got a lot of people to sign up to be mentors and people stayed involved with Spark after I was there. And so I think that kind of like, I like to think of myself as like a salesperson you can trust. Like I don't work on commission, if you will. <laughs> like you should, you should buy whatever I'm selling because it's good. Not because it's like, not because it's going to be good for me.
0: Well, I think you do have the hallmarks of some of the most successful salespeople, which is it feels really good, quote unquote, buying from you, right? <laughs> you, you, just like you described, you set up this thing that you believe in and give people an opportunity to participate in it and make them feel really good about doing it and feel really good about being connected to it through you. So even though you've successfully, quote unquote, sold them, they're into it and it feels feels great for them too. Yeah, I
2: was actually talking to um another suggested podcast guest, Sarah Murray. I was talking to her fiance Josh at the wedding we were just at about why we both like being in like sales and customer facing work because like it's fun. Like you make friends with your clients and with people you work with and so it's like joyous to catch up with them even if you're not selling them or finding out what's going on and like they like hanging out with you and you like hanging out with them. And if you don't like that, sales and customer work is like a really crappy business to be in but if you love it then it's really fun and it's fun for everybody right
0: right well i do think there is a natural mismatch in the perception of what sales is you think of the used car salesman or something like that Mm -hmm. versus what it really is in practice at least when it's done well so that I, i totally identify with Everything you're describing. I I want to go back to
2: a good plaid jacket would go a long way. I feel like that's what I think of when I think used car used car salesman.
0: Well, everyone everyone could use one of those. I want to go back to one one thing that you said, as you were describing how you found yourself in this connector ish line of work, if you will, and you said that you only work on things that you believe in. And I wanted to just hear more about what that criteria is for you.
2: Sure. Um, So I have almost always worked in nonprofits, um, which, and I don't mean that in like a savior complex kind of way, but like, I like things with, well, let me back up. There's a, a concept in. Um, nonprofits and actually in like impact investing right now, where people could talk about like a double bottom line or a triple bottom line. Like at the end of the day, everything's a business, right? Like you don't like run an organization or a company without like, you got to make some money or the whole thing's going to run into the ground. The model for the business is totally different, but like a double bottom line or a triple bottom line means that there's motivations and stakeholders beyond profit. And so like for a nonprofit, you can be like fine financially, but if you aren't making impact, it kind of doesn't matter. Like if you don't have the qualitative and quantitative metrics to show that you're fixing climate change slowly or um, approaching the dropout rate or working on healthcare, like then it kind of doesn't matter. It's not just about dollars. Um, And I always thought that like, I don't know, it's almost like life's too short for it just to be about dollars. And there's so much stuff out there. We spend so much time and money and energy on things that are just dollars based that it's, I don't know. It's more interesting. It's more fun to work on, excuse me, with things with like a double or triple bottom line. Um,
0: Yeah. Are there, are there specific topics in 2021 that either you're working on today because of that, or that you'd be attracted to work on in the future? And I don't mean to make this all about work, but I I think this is very reflective of who you are. I think
2: it's also like personal stuff. Like I've, you know, I've been involved in nonprofits and like other organizations that are about, you know, even like volunteer work. Like I used to volunteer at an animal shelter. That's like how I chose to spend my Saturday mornings was going for runs with rescue dogs. Like, you know, I do things that matter. It doesn't necessarily, let's put it this way. Volunteering at an animal shelter does not look the best on your resume, but that's the thing I did like in middle school and in high school, it's not, you know, honor roll. (laughs) It's a little bit different. Um, And I think it's a lot of things. I think one of the things I've always been really into is, I think most things are really interesting. (laughs) Like even if you don't think they are at first glance. Um, And so it's like, I've kind of always been open to learning more about things that could be really interesting and really impactful and where I could have an impact. Like I've worked in healthcare. I've worked in non, in education. I've worked in environmental um, efforts. I work in government IT right now. Like that does not sound sexy, but there's really cool stuff that you can do there. Um, I mean, personally, like, I'm pretty political, I've done my fair share of like volunteering and campaigning and things like that. Um, But I think whatever you're going to do, do it well. Like, it doesn't have to be like a huge sexy topic for people to make an impact. Government IT, like I said, does not sound sexy. But like, I know a lot of cool things that the really not sexy work gets accomplished by, you know, in my work right now.
0: Well, I was hoping that you could describe a bit about what you are doing now, just because I feel like we've circled around it a bit. But as you're talking about it, I'm realizing that it also hits on some of the themes that you've already described of idolizing your dad a bit and the jewelry business and the, the space that it occupies as a facilitator for other people. Mm-hmm. And then this concept of doing something that matters and making an impact. Sure. Uh, So maybe sort of with that backdrop, and maybe you can speak to that too, if you could describe a bit about what you are actually doing. Sure.
2: Just a little. And this is caveat. If the comms team at GSA is listening, this is not in my official capacity. Um, I work for the government. It's very cool. But at the core of what I do is like I work for this fellowship program that brings really smart technologists into government. And I think that when I think about things that I love, it's like kind of being a, a translator And a connector for people who maybe don't know exactly what they're getting themselves into. And so my fancy title is Director of Events and Community Partnerships. Um, What that really means is a whole bunch of things, but it really means I help to facilitate the experience of about 60 fellows who come into government every year. And so rather than get into like the nitty gritty of the work, because that's I can't really comment on that in my personal capacity, which, as you can imagine, is a little bit harder sometimes. um, It's about making sure that people can translate the things that they know how to do really well into making better digital experiences for the whole country. And I have a really snappy line that I love when I'm trying to recruit people, which is like. Oh, you want to work on things at scale, you said. You want to work on things that really are going to make an impact. and don't work on scooters. Come work for the American people. It's 300 million people, and there's a whole lot of problems to solve, if you like sticky problems. Sure.
0: Rather than trying to recruit your your 100th user, why don't we just give you 300 million of them to play with? Exactly.
2: So it's a fun, it's a fun place to be. And then I, I kind of connect that work back. I used to work in civic tech outside of government for an org called Code for America. Um, And like any good industry, you've never heard of it until you're in it. And then all of a sudden, your entire LinkedIn and Twitter feed is all people who work in your nice niche little industry. Um, So I get to kind of connect the government world back with like the larger world of civic tech and people who want to apply their tech for good in like a pretty concrete way for the American people. But it's a lot of fun.
0: It's so cool. It's so cool. Uh, Can you, I know you can't share like specific Details of stuff, or else the FBI would show up at our doors. <laughs> but can you just share at a high level, even sure. the type of, of projects that you guys are undertaking? Because I, I do think that's very sure. Cool. This is hilarious, and this
2: is like the kind of thing that I yell at my fellows for talking about. So just like hope you guys don't have a very big audience, and I won't be tweeting about this in a way that anybody will find it. Um, when's the last time you uh,
0: hold on? Just to, just to stop you there, we've got. I think on a previous episode, <laughs> reference maybe six listeners that was on Laura's episode. So we might be up to like 10 or 12.
2: Marla and Phil, Stanley, I don't know your parents' names. Um, So a good example is like, when's the last time you used a government service? Either of you, like when's the last time you like accessed something that was run by the government? Yesterday. Did it suck?
1: Uh, No, it was actually pretty good. That's
2: delightful. What was it? Global entry. Ooh, okay. Okay. So what about you? What's the last government service you accessed?
1: I can't remember.
0: Mm. Well, actually I ro- I rode the sub rode the subway, okay. if that counts.
2: Cool. Um and then when's the last time you use like Uber or Lyft? Or like think about like when's the last time you access like a non-government service? Last week. I am going to go out on the limb and guess that your non-government service was probably a little slicker, a little easier to use, probably because it's profit motivated. And so we think about all of the services at like the federal level that people need to access that could be logging in as like an employee to get your um, pay stubs that you need. I'm trying to buy a house right now. I needed all kinds of stuff like paperwork to access. It was actually kind of a pain in the butt, but we're working on it. Um, people who needed to access child tax credit during COVID people who at like the state and local levels, like not our government, not federal, but like people need to access um, food stamps for their kids. There was a whole movement when I was at code for America to have people access um, what they called pandemic EBT, which was a way for kids to get free school lunch even when they weren't in school. Those systems are like super clunky. And so basically like I think any government service, we try to make it less clunky. And it could be for internal, it could be for external, but like the same way there's like great user experience folks working at Lyft. I'm sorry to rip on like Lyft and Lyme today, but like those same kinds of technologists are needed in government to make sure that like the user experience is good, that people who need services that they pay taxes for are good right like that's a big deal like government services aren't free you pay for them you pay for them in your taxes all the time and they should be just as good as any other service that you're paying for
0: right if we're paying for them let's let's make them great let's
2: make them great and people deserve for them to be great a lot of the things that we provide are like we owe them to people we owe them social safety net in my mind like we owe people the resources that we want to get them but if we make them really hard to get to like that's really crappy <laughs>
0: Right. That's, that, that's the same as them not existing, yeah. I guess.
2: So it's, it's a cool, and it's neat. People, Smart people get to work on really sticky problems.
0: Yeah, and I can imagine that not only is the problem sticky, but the actual nuance of creating a solution that will get touched by that many millions of people also sets a pretty high bar for what can be what can be released? Well, I mean,
2: I'll actually, I can go back to the Code for America stuff because I can talk about that. Um, I'm like having my own nightmare over here about our comms team finding out that I'm talking about.
0: Oh, sure. Um, yeah, we don't we don't—we don't want to get you oh, in trouble. I'm
2: the one who would get me in trouble. Um, so like at Code for America, like working on state and local things, like if you think about accessing um, like tax credit, it's actually that like people don't need fancy solutions for anything. They just need a good solution. And I feel like that applies to like so many things, right? Like, you don't need to get people space ice cream when they're hungry. You need to get them, like, fruits and vegetables, right? Like, you don't need to get them, like, the best freeze-dried packets of things. You just need hot, healthy food that's going to go to people. And, like, the same thing applies to government services. Like, you don't need AI. You really need, like, a better Google form. <laughs> and so, like, that's such an interesting concept about, like, kind of taking – I make a lot of snide jokes about this, but, like, you don't need Bitcoin. You don't need AI. You don't need – things like that. You need people using like good simple technology to make sure that people get the things that they need.
0: Right. Let's forget the twenty twenty one buzzwords and take it back to the early two thousand buzzwords and just do those really, really well. Exactly.
2: And so I think stuff like that's fun. Like I joke that I'm in like most cases like an expert generalist. I don't know everything about anything, but I know a lot about a lot like A lot of, I know a little about a lot of things. And I think that like, that's how you solve big problems like this too. You need to know a little bit about everything, a little bit about technology, a little bit about, you know, social safety network, a little bit about how to work with state and local government as an example, but it's not rocket science. It's just hard work.
0: Yeah. Makes, makes total sense. And I
2: don't do that work. Can you clarify? I am not a technologist. I'm the kind of person who gets to bring together technologists and then like help them tell their stories. So I know how to talk about it, but I don't know how to do it.
0: Nice. Um, the thing I wanted to ask about, just now that you're in that space, and obviously have been in government tech before, or building sort of similar style products, Code for America, etc., is how you think about that in the context of your what what you mentioned before of just make doing doing things that are impactful and that actually help people. Totally. And And I wonder how you see that, that sort of evolving, Mm. um, not just in like what your next job is, but just how you, now that you're, you know, you've been doing this for a while and you're obviously doing it in a very highly leveraged position within the federal government, how you think about that evolving and sort of the next iteration, what you feel like the next kind of jump is for yourself. I
2: have no idea. And I like openly admit this when I interview all the time that I have not had a five year plan since I graduated from a five year college. But I think like the best thing I've ever done, and this is like personally and professionally, is like keep meeting smart people and asking questions about what they work on and interesting doors will open. And like, I totally recognize that that comes from a place of privilege, right? Like I've already had a lot of doors open to me. I already have a lot of smart friends who introduce me to other interesting smart friends. But like, I don't have a super hammered out career path. And I think I've taken advantage of really cool opportunities because I like to talk to people, and because I don't have a really clear path. Sometimes I'm very jealous of people who are like, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to get my PhD, and then I'm going to win a Nobel Prize, and like they have it mapped out. But like, if I die and get to say like I worked with a bunch of really cool people on stuff that mattered, and I had a pretty good time doing it, that sounds awesome.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's hard it's it's hard to, it's hard to know what 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 comes next. I just wasn't sure if that was something that you'd already. Mm-mm. had a vision for i
2: don't i think like i just want to keep learning about stuff i think there's like some crazy stat that like half the jobs that we have now like didn't exist when our parents were like there's like like new jobs come around every day so like the jobs that like the job that you have like did not exist 20 years ago that's like not a job you could have thought about growing like growing up podcast host full-time
0: full-time podcast
2: host host, clothing manufacturer (laughs) like there's a lot of things that you would never thought about being but i think that that's like kind of crazy if you think about it, like there's so many opportunities, like we don't even know what we could be doing. There's going to be some new technology or art or planet or who knows that we could be working on, working with. So.
0: Right. It's all, it's all about just staying, staying curious. I think one, one, one thing that shines through in that last answer, just about how you think about your own sort of personal next steps. And this was, this is very much how I see you as well. Is just your confidence in yourself that you will figure it out, that you will you will you will know what's best for you when when the time comes. And and that I think I think that also shines through in the interpersonal relationships that you build as these as this connector that you've described. And so I'm curious if that's something you're aware of or that. You cultivate on on purpose or not?
2: I actually like kind of want to come back to the privilege part of it, which is I think like that confidence is because I've like had the stability to be that confident in a lot of things, and I don't know if I would have recognized that like five or ten years ago. Like, yeah. I had a lot of comfort in being able to do whatever it is I wanted to do. Like, that's because I had like a really supportive, stable family. That's because I had access to money to go to college. That's because I didn't, I came out of school with no student loans, like things that are hugely, hugely privileged. And so like, again, I think if you asked me when I was 20, like where that came from, I don't know if I would have had the same answer, but I had a huge amount of privilege on that front. And like, that is something that I don't want to take for granted. I think personality wise, there's probably a decent amount of that too, but I got to make decisions because I had a safety net. Like when it comes to like jobs as like an example. Like just one thing, I could, there's a lot of talk in the nonprofit space and I didn't get to listen to the end of Jorge's podcast, but like if you work in nonprofits, there's often a lack of diversity in nonprofits, partially because folks who can afford to take what are often lower paid jobs in nonprofits have a social safety net for themselves. Maybe they're married to somebody who makes more money. Maybe they didn't have student loans, maybe like any number of things. So like looking back, like that's something that I, I could kind of like take my pick. I didn't have to like go get a super corporate job. I could be super mission motivated or whatever it was. I was telling myself when I was 21 and went to go work in a nonprofit, but like, that's because I could, and like, I had a choice to make there not necessarily just like confidence for it. So I just want to like majorly caveat that. I think we don't talk about that enough. Um, and that's, I feel really lucky. I've I've, sure I've worked hard, but it's a huge amount of luck that like allowed me to take the path that
0: a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I thank you for calling that out. I think, even just the foundation of coming from a two-parent household, oh. and a loving family, sets you on this totally different path. Even without some of the financial
2: mm-hmm.
0: privileges you mentioned, yeah, maybe you can maybe you can just talk talk about that a little bit of how, because I, I have to imagine that your parents have been have played a large part in shaping. This identity. I mean you mentioned your dad at the very beginning but totally I'm, I'm curious I mean what their role part. is
2: they I mean I'm super tight with my family they um I don't know it's interesting I was I thought about this growing up a lot of they were one of the only parent not the only it, it was probably almost 50 50 like divorced parents and not divorced parents when we were growing up but like my parents my friends would vouch for this like were kind of a little bit of like the paragon of relationships to a lot of my friends and like households. Like we were the house that everybody hung out at. My mom would like sit at the dining room table and probably knew a lot more about my friends' relationships and grades and other things than like their parents did sometimes. No offense to their parents. Um, I have a friend who I think discovered that he had political thoughts because he came to have dinner at our house because my parents like forced him to have opinions about things <laughs> and asked him, to you know, a whole bunch of questions about what he thought about X, Y, and Z. Um, and I think one of the best things is like even when I would come home from college, you know, like you come home at like Thanksgiving break, right? And your friends are like, Let's go to the bar, let's go out, like when can you leave the house? It's time to go and like the un written understanding was like Marissa's not leaving until dinner's over and we don't really know what time dinner's starting so we're not really sure what time dinner's ending but she's probably not leaving until dinner's over which used to turn into friends just coming over and sitting at our dining room table (laughs) because it was easier just to come in and hang out and talk to my parents than to try to get me to leave when dinner was still happening um and I think they like gave me a ton of freedom to be whatever I wanted to be and whoever I wanted to be like both personally and like with the stability that they gave me Um, there was never like, you have to do this or you have to do that. I got to try out a ton of stuff. Um, and the only, this is a good living family rule. This belongs on a podcast. Um, the only rule in our house was if you're going to do something stupid, don't get caught. Not like don't do something stupid, but like, if you're going to do something stupid, don't get caught and we'll pick you or your friends up anywhere we want that you want us to pick you up no matter what, no questions asked forever which I think are two pretty solid rules to come out of childhood with.
0: <laughs> your, your parents and my parents must have had a had a conference together or something. I, I can identify with, with a, a lot of what you just yeah. said from my own background. I, Marla
2: and sure. Phil and Bob and Robin would have a pretty good time together, I think.
0: One yes. day. One day we'll make it happen mm-hmm, for sure. That's, true. that's That's really cool. I One thing that stood out, just as you were mentioning that, was the way that your parents encouraged you to take risks by building that safe space mm-hmm. in a way? Yep. So you described the kind of inherent privilege that, and financial privilege that set you up to, to do things. But I wonder if you can talk to maybe the the freedom that came along with, that perspective from them. Sure. I mean, and how, and how that manifested for you.
2: I mean, I was 17 when I went to college and I went to Boston, I grew up in Pittsburgh. So that's like a 10 hour drive, which I did once with my family and will never do again. Um, and they let me go really far away to school. I think that was like something that I took for granted that I was going to get to go wherever I could get in and like wherever, you know, we could swing, but that. Was something I was allowed to do. I think like when I talk to other friends now, like there's really different expectations of like stay close to home or you need to stay close to home. Again, coming back to like the privilege of being able just to leave and go do whatever I wanted. Um, I was not allowed to go to school in California. My brother was my younger brother, but I was allowed to go to college in Boston, um, and I was really encouraged to do that. Like we looked at all big city schools when I went to college, and my parents were in theory, going to be fine with that. <laughs> and like, that's a pretty cool piece of trust. Like just to be like, yep, I'm going to send my 17 year old kid. Cause I think she's got it to a city if that's where she wants to go to school. Um, and just always kind of encouraged me to do whatever it was I wanted to do and had kind of like a blind faith. I'm pretty sure my dad like thinks I could be a rocket scientist, which is categorically false. Um, but like are just really amazing cheerleaders for me and for my brother.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm assuming I don't want to put words in your mouth, but so much of what you're describing okay. again is similar to my own experience. Yep. That 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 kind of backing felt like almost there wasn't a risk that was too big to take because no matter what, you'd fall back and yeah, things would still be okay at a foundational level. Totally.
2: Well, and like and success, I don't think was going to be about like what I achieved professionally either, right? Like they were just. Proud. And I think, again, like that's a piece of like, not everybody gets that from their parents. There's a lot of like expectations or like, you need to do this or why are you taking that job or why are you dating that person or like any number of things. And I think that it wasn't so like winning didn't look like one thing to them.
0: Right. Right. And I, think that was I really also, cool. I, I also imagine this kind of aligns again with just my vision For you as a as a person, but that your parents had such confidence in you going away to college, for example, and doing all these other things, because obviously you're very capable. But you also, to me, are someone who doesn't tolerate (laughs) bullshit, really, from other people for the most part. I'd say that's probably. Um, And I think that that's that's really interesting to me because. Other people do it, but I would say most people I know have either that really strongly, that they clearly don't take shit from anyone, or they're very warm, and you have this really great blend of both, where you lead with the warmth, the the connector, the I'm here to help you type of thing, but you also have this exterior that... Doesn't allow for people to mess with you or take advantage of you in, a, in an unfair way.
2: That's super. interesting.
0: Does that feel is, is that is that a fair characterization? Am I? Think I so. Does that feel accurate? I think
2: it does. I mean, I will actually give you this is a really interesting parenting story. I don't know if my mom like will remember this, but when I was like a teenager, maybe early teens, I was kind of a chubby kid, probably still a chubby kid, and my grandmother was like super old school right? Like tiny, well-dressed, like, you know, body image was like a big thing to her. And when I was younger, like there would be a lot of conversations. Like if she'd just gotten pictures of me, like there'd be a comment about my body when I talked to her on the phone and I like wasn't going to deal with it. It like made me really upset. And I remember talking to my mom and I was like, I don't really want to talk to grandma like about that. And she goes, okay, you don't have to. And, like, I'm pretty sure there was, like, a solid period of time where I just, like, didn't really talk to my grandma. They're not in, like, an outwardly fighting kind of way. But and I was, like, this doesn't work for me. It doesn't feel good. And my mom was, like, cool. We will do what works. And, like, that is a huge thing. Like, when I think about, like, women and body issue that my mom was just, like, yep, I'm taking your side. That feels unhealthy. I trust you. And I'm not going to, like, force you to, like, kind of bend over backwards to please your grandmother in a way that's going to fuck you up forever (laughs) is pretty wild. And I think like, if you think about that as like a framework for my parents, that's a pretty good one. They were like, oh, like you seem smart. We're going to listen to you and we're going to then like have your back in a way that lets you not be messed up.
0: Well, that also (laughs) seems like a a powerful first example for yourself too to recognize oh if someone's treating me in a way i don't want to be treated i just i don't have to accept that
2: yeah so that's a pretty cool like that will always stick with me when it comes to my mom
0: that's very cool yeah i hope that that's the case
2: i my professionally i get called the chief cat herder and i always joke that like but the cats like it like it's fine the cats are into it because that's like what i've been doing for a large part of my career like i worked with celebrities and like told them what to do. I have worked with kids. I've worked with very smart adults now. And like, it is, it's kind of like you get them to like you and then you can kind of get people to do just about anything you want or need them to do and make them feel like it's their idea.
0: Fair, fair. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll keep that in mind next next time we're, we're hanging out. You're welcome, um, you're welcome. The, the last kind of l- larger topic I wanted to hit on was something that you mentioned earlier just around curiosity. Mm -hmm. And I was hoping you could just share a little bit about how you feed that curiosity, because I think you have a lot of Mm interests and I'm just curious how you feed that fire a little bit. Sure.
2: I mean, I'm a huge reader. I've been a huge reader for forever, like read most of the books in like my elementary school library kind of big reader. Um, and I still read a ton. Can
0: you, can you, can you just give, give the people, uh, a number of how many books you read in the last year?
2: I shoot for the baseline for the last few years has been at least 52 books a year. So like one a week, um, I've gone higher. I also don't think there's anything as like a bad book to read. So like I read trashy romance novels and that's great. And I strongly recommend them to everybody. It's like eating, it's like reading candy. Like, is it nutritious? No. Is it lovely? Absolutely. Um, so I read a ton. I also take a lot of book recommendations from people. Um, I did a thing a couple years ago that I thought was really helpful. And it's been something I've done a lot recently, which is kind of like audit who I'm reading and make sure that I'm not over indexing on like my own identity when it comes to reading. Um, and so maybe two or three years ago, I put out a big call to friends and people. I was like, I'd really like to read more authors of color and more women. Because traditionally, like if you look at like the classics, it's a lot of old white dudes and like, sure, they're great, but like, there's not other authors in there because we are a chauvinist society, a chauvinist racist society. So we needed to mix it up. And so I've just been a lot more conscious about reading people who are not like me um, as much as possible and going a little deeper, like who is that author and what have they written about before? And like, what's going to be interesting about this? And that's, I still read a lot of fiction, not, I really over index on fiction, but I, you know, read things by Muslim authors read romance novels by Muslim authors that's not a thing that you might think of off the bat you know you can make sure that you're not just reading old white dudes don't just read things that are on the top 20 list for the New York Times because those tend to index towards old white dudes and so that's been a huge part Um, I what else do I do my friends are the smartest Um, zip I'm in a Tuesday night call with your wife and a bunch of other women And when we were in real life, we used to do what we called Salon, which was like a regular, I think we were doing it monthly hangout, where it was like a little more framed. We had like a topic or somebody was in charge of kind of leading a discussion. And I'm friends with so many really smart people. And I think that that really feeds my curiosity. I don't think I hang out with people who are just like me. I think we all over-index a little bit towards people who are similar to us, but like in my close group of girlfriends, I would say it's not like everybody works in tech or everybody works in healthcare or everybody's a mom or, you know, something like that. Like there's a lot of diversity of thought and background and experience and what people are curious about and know about that. That's really fun. Like I feel like I learned something from friends every time I talk to them. Um, and that's a really cool way to stay curious. So I think like between reading and hanging out with smart people, that's a great way to do it. I also, I know social media is a hot mess, like whatever. But I think like I've always used things like Twitter as a way to get to know new spaces. If you and I have talked about that a ton, like that it's such an easy low bar to be like, who are the cool thought leaders and how can I follow them to other thought leaders that maybe I haven't heard of before? Or somebody who's not a thought leader yet, but says a bunch of really smart stuff in a space that I'm passionate about. And so I think like that kind of democracy of who is a thought leader is really interesting to me and like getting to know smart people. Um really helps and you don't have to know them know them you can follow them on Twitter and know them and that's a cool way to go
0: yeah I love it you don't have to convince me of, of the value a good, good Twitter follow I'm with yeah. you
2: yeah just I think that curiosity and like you just never get bored I've like maybe like a couple times during COVID my husband was convinced I was ill because like he was like you, you did you say you were bored like you don't get bored that's so weird um because there's always something to read or like somebody to catch up with so
0: I mean, 52 books in a year is very impressive, Objective. This
2: has been hard because usually I'm the one asking the question. So I'm going to ask you each for something. What's the best thing you've read recently and why should I read it? Stanley, you've been awfully quiet. What's the best thing you've read recently?
1: Let's see. What have I read recently? Um, So given COVID... Um, and having a, a two-year-old, <laughs> my ability to go adventure in the outdoors is much more limited. So I've been into books that kind of almost make me feel like I'm I'm out in the outdoors adventuring, obviously through the book. So I started reading a book. I'm reading a book right now called A Wild Idea. Um, honestly, the book's okay, <laughs> um, but the but but it's about Doug Doug Tompkins, the oh, founder yeah. of. Uh, our co-founder of both North Face and uh, East Spirit. And really his life's work, I think, was uh, buying a bunch of land in South America to make uh, make it public lands. Cool. So he's a very interesting guy, but he talks a lot about his adventures. And so um, I've r- really been enjoying those kind of books. Lately. Oh, that sounds
2: awesome. Yeah, books like make you feel a lot of things. I feel like people don't think of them as like so, like, I don't have the right words for it, like immersive.
0: Right. Well, reading, there's just... Reading a good book is in and of itself such a special experience. Agreed. I have a whole chair for it at my
2: house. I bought like a reading chair. That was key when we moved. Josh, what about you? What's the best thing you've read recently?
0: So I'm a part of a, uh, so Kate is Catholic. I'm Jewish. We're a part of this interfaith couples Mm -hmm. group, which has become a great support system, but also just a very curious group to kind of explore a lot of similar issues altogether Mm -hmm. uh, all couples that are in similar stages and ages and we're reading a book now called mixed up love Mm -hmm. that is co-written by a rabbi and her and her husband the rabbi uh is a i believe a reform rabbi and the husband is a catholic works for a catholic publishing company and is catholic and they're co-writing the book together about their their marriage and their relationship. So there's a lot of really interesting uh, just learnings and things that they discuss that are relevant and oh,
2: I love that discussion,
0: discussion worthy for, for this group. I've
2: been so impressed hearing about the way you and Kate, not to like blow up your own spot, but like hearing about how you guys have navigated that interfaith experience. Nothing made me prouder than Kate calling me to like run through how to pronounce something for one of the Jewish prayers. I don't remember if it was for Passover or Shabbat, but I was like, man, this is a couple that's crushing it like that she's calling her friend to be like, how do I do this prayer to like make it so that her new family was going to feel like she was really putting in the work was the coolest. That's very sweet.
0: That was awesome. That's very sweet. Yeah. She, she's, she's the best. We don't, we, we, we all know we that. All know that. It's true. <laughs> it's
2: true.
0: Well with, with that, uh, I think that's a good segue for me to turn it over to Stanley to see, see what I missed.
1: Stanley, what, what didn't I ask? Uh, so I, there is one thing that I want to follow up on, uh, but I want to give kind of props to Spark. So uh, when I worked at Square, there was a part you guys yeah, had a partnership, um, and honestly, it was one of the best experiences I had in San Francisco into Square. I feel like I learned more from from my mentee than he, oh. he learned from me, but it was. It was great. Shout
2: out to Sarah Schramm, uh, who is like the reason we were at Sarah Bonta now. She's married. Yeah. But I, Sarah Sarah Bonta had my job before I had my job at Spark. And then she went on to work at Square for Sarah Fryer, who's a total badass, um, the CFO. She was the CFO at Square, yeah. who's now up next door. So that's that makes me so happy, Stanley. I didn't know you were a mentor at Spark. Yeah. Oh, love
1: it. Uh, so the, the one thing I want to follow up on, you, you mentioned, I, th- I thought I heard you say something along the lines of like, there are no bad books. Um, <laughs> I'm curious if you, if you have that feeling, like a lot of people do. And I, I personally had to learn to kind of get over, do you feel the need that you have to finish a book? I do not. Have you always, have you never had that need or did you have to kind of learn to overcome it? No, I
2: mean, it's so funny. I like, inhale books like i read so much i will say the kindle well like i love hardback books like real books you can hold the fact that i can have like all my books in my purse and i take it now in my fanny pack i take shout out to fanny packs that fit kindles um no because i also think that like reading should be joyous like if you're not having a good time like why do it at the same time like i think you should absolutely read people that you disagree with and like listen to people you disagree with so like and one of the coolest jobs, and we actually didn't talk about this, which is funny, um, I worked at the Commonwealth Club, which is like a nonprofit, nonpartisan civic forum, and we hosted everybody. Like, I am deeply liberal. I'm like so liberal, sometimes I'm like back around the other side liberal. But when I worked at Commonwealth Club, we hosted everybody. Like, we hosted Republicans. We hosted all kinds of people. I think my dog is trying to come into the room. Um, this would surprise nobody. Um, like, I hosted people that I thought were like truly abhorrent. And I can say that now because I don't work there. But I thought it was so interesting to host people that I was like diametrically opposed to because you also don't really know what you don't know. And we tend to just like write people off and be like, oh, like that person sucks, right? And so like, well, yes, you cannot finish a book because you're not enjoying it. I think like enjoying it can mean different things. So like I sat through a lot of talks by a bunch of Republicans between the years of 2016 and 2020 and it was fucking brutal, Stanley. But it was really interesting. And so like- I think that not finishing a book and not signing up for things that might be a little uncomfortable or different, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, that's fair. And I, it's funny you mentioned that because usually the books that bore me are the ones that I already agree with. Like, I don't need to, I don't, you know, I want something that is actually going to kind of spark my imagination Mm -hmm. or disagree with me on something. So, but that's a good point of clarification. Um,
0: I I realized just to jump back in real quick, uh, I forgot one important question and it's the, the ender question that has become the only question that I've consistently I'm asked ready. every episode. So if you didn't get to the end of Jorge's episode, not. you won't have
2: heard it. That's
0: all right. That's all right. Um, I was hoping before we get to the, the fast, fast hitting section with Stanley that you could define a life well-lived for you.
2: A life well-lived. I think I kind of touched on it before. Like I want to keep working on Impactful things with smart people and connecting the dots between people and things that I'm really passionate about. To me, like, I don't think it needs to be huge. Like, I feel lucky to have gotten to the point where, like, I make enough money, right? Like, if I make more money, great. I'll figure out how to give some of it away, but I'm pretty comfortable. And I want to also not work all the time. I think, like, COVID was actually pretty eye opening for me. I think that, like, the grind is real and, like, we are in a culture that works a lot. And I, as much as I whined about it, my husband will attest, like slowing down a little bit was really great. And like getting to read books and I like fake watercolored a lot and had a blast doing it. And I take my dog on really long walks. Like you're not going to remember. It's like so cliche, but like the whole, like, what do people think about on their deathbed? Like, it's not the PowerPoint presentation that they gave to their boss in their thirties. Like, it's just not. And I've really kind of adopted to not being so stressed out about work um and i think it's like building a beautiful community and i feel lucky i feel like i've already had a chance to do that like nothing gives me more joy i have girlfriends who i introduced who now live near each other in connecticut and are each other's besties and they hang out without me and it's awesome i like love finding out that they've gone out to brunch together and these are two people who would never would have met otherwise and to me like that's a a checkbox like that's a good thing to me connect people so that they have other beautiful relationships and build a beautiful community and staying curious. It's funny, like we already talked about all these things. Like I feel like I'm in the middle yeah. of a life well lived.
0: You're, you're just summarizing. You're yeah. just summarizing, which is which is great. It means it means you're on the right track so. for yourself. So, that, so that's encouraging.
2: Yeah.
0: I love it. Thank you. Thank you for that. So Stanley, do you want to close us out with some uh, overrated, underrated?
1: Yeah. So like Zip said, the next section is overrated, underrated, or you can say appropriately rated. Um, and if you feel like it, you can say Why?
2: Okay, I'm ready.
1: Working for the government. Underrated. The city of Pittsburgh. Underrated. San Francisco.
2: Appropriately rated.
1: Reading physical books.
2: Medium rated. If you don't like to read places outside of your house, physical books are great. If you like to have a book in your fanny pack, a Kindle is where it's at. I feel like I'm like now an advertisement for fanny packs and Kindles. This is nice. <laughs> also to come back to Pittsburgh, shout out to Pittsburgh. That place has everything a huge city has and it's cheap as shit. So if you're looking for a new place to live, Pittsburgh is great. My mother's going to listen to this and be like, so why don't you move home? We're not getting into that right now, mom.
0: We're, we're modifying Pittsburgh to deep, deeply underrated. Is that is that it's fair?
2: Underrated. It's not deeply underrated. There's still some issues. There.
0: Okay. All right. I, I just want to make sure we get it get it right for for our scorecard. Not you know?
2: a Steelers fan. Like that could be a point in the wrong direction. I don't know. Is it
1: the house buying process?
2: Who lets people buy houses? Who lets them do it? Why am I as an adult allowed to buy a house? I don't even think that deserves a rating. It's just a shit show. The outcome will be nice. The process is a travesty.
1: Getting married over Zoom.
2: Underrated. It was the most fun I've ever had. I would not change it. I actually loved doing exactly what I did with my husband. The only downside was not having our parents there. That's like if I could have traded something, somehow having them there while doing it that way would have actually been pretty fantastic. But shout out to Zoom. It was special. Shout out to Zoom. Like I still got ready with my mom. Like I just put her on Zoom. And she, like, hung out with me. I, like, put the computer on my, like, dresser and got ready with her. It was great. I have a really nice photo of Zip and Kate wearing fancy tops and not very fancy bottoms that is in my wedding album. So.
1: Um, The government's use of technology.
2: Mm, So far to go. I would actually say underrated. There's more to it than people know.
1: Okay. And finally, matzo ball soup.
2: Whose matzo ball soup are we talking about, Stanley?
1: That's for you to define. Mm.
2: Matzo ball soup is the best food. I think it's underrated. I don't even think people understand how good it is if you've not had good matzo ball soup. Made with like chicken fat that somebody's grandmother kept in their freezer to then make you matzo ball soup. Mm. So good.
0: There's, There's natural healing elixirs in there.
2: There are. There are. It's true. That's why I always, I stockpile it. I buy matzo ball soup mix in excess during Passover to keep it around for the rest of the year. That's a true life hack right there.
0: I love it. We have one, uh, one final question for you. It's just one good would you rather that I think makes sense for, for you specifically, would you, would you rather be able to read a book instantly by just touching its cover or be able to meet the author of any book you read?
2: I definitely don't want to read it by just touching it. I love the process of reading. I want to like sit in my big cozy armchair and read a book. But I'm also sometimes not that into meeting the people who have written or like created my favorite things. I don't know if you guys have ever gone to a concert and just been like, shit, I didn't know that that's what that guy looked like. Like there's something about it that kind of like breaks the magic because I feel like authors are kind of like the Wizard of Oz a little bit. Um, I will confess I had a total freak out fangirl moment when I met Michael Shaven, who wrote wonder boys, which is my favorite book movie combo of all time. And I'm usually very cool around celebrities. I worked with them for like years and I lost my mind when I met him. It was so terribly not cool. And I was mortified. I would have liked to have seen that. Mortifying.
0: I, w- I would have liked to have seen that for sure. I have a
2: question for you guys. Who's your dream guest for unzipped? Each of you get to have one. <laughs>
0: probably, probably Steph Curry. Okay. which which isn't out of the realm of possibility, no. maybe one, one day. Do you still have his number? Now that, now that the basketball season has started, it's probably going to be a lot tougher, but we'll see. Do you
2: still have his number?
0: Yes, but I'm not sure if it's still current. I would guess not.
2: I got faith. Okay, I'll tune in for that episode. Stanley, what about you?
1: Honestly, the reason why I was such a fan of doing this podcast before we started it was because I'm so bad at – keeping in touch with my friends who don't live nearby and so like this feels like a good excuse to to do that so honestly like everyone we're having on and this the the other nice thing is like the last episode was someone i never met and now i met this guy it was only for an hour but like i felt like i have a new friend because this guy seems so genuine and authentic do you like an old friend you want
2: to like rekindle like is there anybody that you're like man like i lost touch with this person like, forever ago, like, I wonder if it'd be, like, if it wasn't awkward to call them up and be like, I'd want to have you on the podcast. Sorry, I can't resist, because I used to do this on the flip side and, like, interview people.
1: Let's see. I mean, my mind goes to, like, my grandma. Oh, I love that. Which, obviously, is not going to be possible, um, especially if I could do, I mean, Oliver's only two, but, like, I would have loved for her to meet Oliver, so having, like, a conversation with the three of us would have been really great. I love that. Well, Marissa, this has been so
0: fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you, on you so much us. for coming. This was a blast. For coming on. Of, of course. Thank you so much for making the time.